0: Speak truth to my heart. Welcome to the Mission Cleveland my Weekly Podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Breathe life on my bone. For this desert is the valley. Good evening, everybody so good to be with you i actually got pretty excited when it was stormy because i just kind of like when you're like in a worship service and you hear like thunder in the background it feels i don't know cozy or something (laughs) but um especially because there aren't that many of us tonight it just feels extra cozy and intimate and i am just grateful to be here with each of you tonight so let's open with prayer Lord Jesus, we're so, so grateful to be gathered together with you tonight. And Lord, thank you for the simple fact that things do not have to be perfect for you to be present here with us. Lord, we are broken. Um, and we so desperately are in need of you. And so, Lord, as your students, we just sit at your feet tonight and we ask you to teach us something new. Encourage our hearts. Help us think a different way about something. Transform us, Lord, because we believe that you are able to do that through the power of your spirit, and the power of your word. Come, Lord Jesus, we are listening. Amen. So as I was studying this gospel passage from Matthew chapter 10 over the past couple of weeks, there's one image that kept coming to my mind, and I honestly tried not to use it because it just felt kind of silly, but it just kept coming up over and over. And it's the image of a coach with a team giving a pregame talk. So you have the disciples. They are being sent by Jesus in our passage today. And he's already given them a little bit of instruction. So at this point, they know that he said he will give them authority to heal people. He will give them the authority to cast out demons. They know that they're not going to take much with them, that they're going to be traveling lightly and simply. Um, But at this point, there's really not too much to be discouraged by, I guess you could say. And so if you have ever been a participant on a team and have kind of felt this image that I'm talking about or even watched just sports on TV, you can probably imagine that there's a lot of adrenaline that comes with that, right? So when you are a person on the team and you're getting ready for a big game or a competition, then there's so much adrenaline that the coach could pretty much say anything in that moment, and you're just going to, yeah, <laughs> it, it really would take a lot for you to think, oh, oh, yeah. So, so you're just so full of excitement and fervor and adrenaline um, that sometimes you're not really paying attention to what exactly the coach is saying. And um, if we go back to our lectionary texts, I really love when you can find a common thread in them. And something that I noticed from both Jeremiah and Psalm was this. I'll read from Jeremiah chapter 21st. He says, if I say I will not mention him, talking about God, or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And then in Psalm 69, David says, for zeal for your house has consumed me. So I love that image of, of this, this um, adrenaline rush of an athlete per se being parallel to this burning in the this burning fire shut up in our bones that we are weary of holding it in or the zeal for God's house that has consumed us there's excitement there's fervor there's adrenaline but i wonder if the disciples were actually prepared for what Jesus was about to say next coming to our passage today were they prepared for verse 16, where Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I remember um, one particular time in college when um, I was playing on the volleyball team, and my coach was a very, very gentle and tender Person, but but balanced with a pretty good amount of intensity. He was just, in my mind, like the perfect balance of those two things. But we were preparing for a really big game. It was near the end of the season. We were about to head into like a conference tournament. And we show up to practice that day, and we he had us come to a different gym, so we were already a little like, what's going on? And so we get there, and he just has this intensity about him that we had never seen before. And essentially, he just says, start conditioning we do that but start running start doing these things called carpet boards where you had to scoot these boards it was miserable across the floor and then he just started like yelling the other team's statistics at us having us respond with how we were going to respond in real time so for example maybe I'm in the midst of like doing some sort of sprint or exercise and he's like number nine, where does she like to hit the ball? And like wanted me to respond. And what are her tendencies and what does she do? And I'm like, I'll get back with you in a minute. I can't breathe. Um, But I say all that to say it was so disorienting because that was not who he normally was. And so although this image doesn't perfectly hold here, what I'm getting at is that I imagine the disciples, when Jesus says this, have to be feeling some sort of disorientation. Because aren't they talking to the good shepherd? This sounds like the antithesis of a good shepherd. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Well, if we know anything about sheep and wolves, we know that one wolf can disrupt a whole flock of sheep in a second. But now Jesus is saying, I'm actually sending on purpose with intention a few of you sheep out into the midst of many wolves. It just sounds like a recipe for disaster, right? I kind of think of a parent maybe teaching their child to drive, which, praise God, I'm not there yet. But I, I cannot imagine what that is like. You're teaching them to drive, and then you're sending them out alone for the first time. This is what's supposed to happen, right, if they're ever going to have any sort of independence. But then I, I'm sure some of you could nod your head to this. You go back home, and you're, like, breathing into a paper bag, like, oh, my gosh, what, are, what is happening? What are we supposed to do now? But this is what's supposed to happen. And part of me wonders in this moment, in just the pure humanity of Jesus, was he nervous? Was he anxious to send his beloved friends out into the world as sheep amongst wolves? But what he's doing is he's inviting them to be extensions of himself in the world, right? This is how it was supposed to be all along. This was the point of the whole thing, of them following him, And he's saying, if you want to be like me, this is what you can expect. You're going to be sheep among wolves. I imagine Jesus knows um, our human tendencies and how we react or respond to a threat or to some form of opposition. I'm no psychologist, but in my mind, you kind of have two ends of, of the spectrum. Some people, when they are threatened or when they face opposition, they just go out guns blazing. They're like, burn it all down. We are here for this, and we are just full speed ahead. And then you have the opposite side of that, where maybe someone shrinks back more, is a bit more timid, or maybe, you know, where's the badge of, of martyrdom or of, well, someone opposed me, so I've been persecuted, I've done the thing, checked the box, and now I'm done. I think Jesus knows this. And I imagine there's a little bit of all of that going on in the midst of the 12 disciples. And so Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So, therefore, because of this, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, this is an odd pairing. I'm sure you you can <laughs> conclude that on your own. Because both a serpent and a dove, they are extreme representations of their natures. Right? So it's it's odd a little bit if you think back to Genesis that Jesus is now saying, be like the serpent, the deceiver, right? That seems odd in and of itself. But the serpent in Genesis was called cunning. And so if you take wise by itself, you could break it down like that. Cunning devious, wily, guileful, and then take innocence by itself. Innocence connotes helplessness, harmlessness, probably even weakness. One without the other is not what Jesus is getting at. One without the other is not a representation of who Christ has been in the world and what he has modeled. It's the balance of the two that Jesus is getting at. It's the balance that he has embodied for them, that he has been modeling for them in his ministry thus far. I think Jesus is saying, be wise, be aware. As I'm sending you out, know your surroundings. Practice good timing. Be attuned to the people that you encounter. Even be careful. Avoid physical danger if you can. Don't just throw yourself into it. Be wise. Be wise. But also be innocent. Inflict harm on no one. Be tender. And remember that you are not helpless. For what does he say a few verses later? That the Spirit of the Father will give you the words that you need, will be there to help you. Be wise, be innocent, be those two things together in unison. I stumbled across a um, sermon from Charles Spurgeon as I was researching for this, and one thought that just caught my attention was this. He says, fighting sheep are strange animals, and fighting Christians are self-evident contradictions. Fighting sheep are strange animals. It's kind of funny if you think about a sheep fighting. (laughs) And fighting Christians are self-evident contradictions. I would also argue that Christians who shrink back, who lay down, who go go more into that innocence side, are also self-evident contradictions. It's the combination of both. Maybe the most um, troubling thing that I have thought about in relationship to this passage is just that it doesn't track today. Like we cannot, like any text, we cannot just pick it up and plop it down in our current context and say, this fits. Right? We are not living in the same world that the disciples were living in, that Jesus was sending them out into. So rather than offer my own thoughts on this, I'd like to offer N.T. Wright's thoughts on this. He says that those of us who live in the Western world have become used to taking it for granted that we live in a tolerant society, We don't expect people to haul us off into court for what we believe. We don't expect to be beaten up because we speak about Jesus. We certainly don't expect to find ourselves coming before governors and monarchs on a charge of treason. But Jesus' message was truly revolutionary. And like all true revolutionaries, he and his followers were regarded as very dangerous. The question we face is not so much Isn't it a shame that the rest of the world isn't as tolerant as we are? But the question is this. Is this a sign that Christianity in the West has somehow compromised itself? Is this a sign that Christianity in the West has somehow compromised itself? I really love that question. It doesn't feel good, but I encourage you. I'm not going to offer any thoughts on that question. I'm not going to try to answer that question, but I'm going to invite all of us to sit with that question, to think about that question, to wrestle with that question a little bit this week and see what comes up for you. I think that's an important question to consider. I also think it can be helpful and valuable to ask ourselves, okay, in our current context, what are our wolves? How could we put some definition around that today? Is it anything in direct opposition to the gospel message in the person of Jesus? I think so. That would hold. That would track with who the wolves were in this passage from Matthew. And I say anything because I feel like in our world, it's probably going to be more of an anything than a, an than a anyone, than a somebody. I don't want to diminish that we may actually face individuals in our lives who fit this description. Some of us do. Some of us will. But could our wolves also just be our own attempts, whether conscious or unconscious, to diminish that zeal that I talked about in the beginning, that burning in our bones for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could these wolves be our own inability to experience discomfort Over something that really and truly matters to us. I think those could be wolves too. This passage clearly has a flavor of evangelism to it. And to be honest, I've got a little bit of baggage around that word growing up Southern Baptist. Evangelism felt aggressive. Evangelism felt overbearing. And it really feels almost as if many American Christians have somehow misplaced our identity as sheep and decided that we'll just take on the role of wolves. So we'll go out as wolves in the midst of innocent sheep who are longing for life. And rather than proclaiming the gospel message with gentleness and with harmlessness and with awareness and with compassion, It just comes across as an attempt to convert, to devour, to consume. Again, to just check off a box of, got another one, did my job. That's wolf behavior. That is not sheep behavior. Our identity as sheep holds because lest we forget, we were never called to be anything different. We have always been sheep. Again, quoting from Spurgeon, this one's a bit longer, but I thought this was a beautiful reflection of what evangelism can look like. He said, Sit at Christ's feet before you speak in Christ's name. But when once you are instructed, do not fail to become teachers. The lessons of your Lord will be impressed upon your own minds the more indelibly when you have earnestly communicated them to your fellow men. First be taught, but afterwards fail not to teach. Hoard not up the treasure of divine knowledge, for there is no stint therein. Eat not alone the honey of redeeming love, for there is enough and more to spare. Feed not upon the bread of heaven with selfish greed as though there were a famine in the land and you had need to save each crumb for yourself. But break your bread among the hungry crowd about you and it shall multiply in your hand. Christ has called you that you may afterwards go forth and call others to his sacred feast of grace. Be taught and then go teach. There is enough. There's more than enough. Go forth and call others to his sacred feast of grace. Is that not a true image of evangelism? Our role is to teach and not devour. Our role is to share and not hoard. Our role is to embrace and not fight. Our role is to repair and not divide. Our role is to invite and and not conquer. These, I'm convinced, are our tasks as sent ones. So here, this Mission Cleveland. I pray it to be true for us. Again from N.T. Wright to close, he says, if we are in any way to face what he faced, Jesus, and to share his work, we need to be sure that his own life becomes embodied in ours may it be so mission cleveland in the name of the father, son and holy spirit. amen. speak truth to my heart. thanks for listening. join us at the mission cleveland next week.